The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. College football will be played this week, and Florida State kicks off in just 13 days. It is a very good evening to you and how you be with William Haynes here and you there on the other side of the dial at 89.7 FM. Join us here tonight for a summer wind down, our first or actually our last program until our fall semester officially starts and we have Florida State football game previews and recaps and all sorts of exciting guests. But we've got a great show lined up tonight as well. We've got some news at the top. Uh, our athletic director may potentially be on the move. He had to publicly refute that he's not. Uh, Florida State soccer is 2-0. and They've already put a couple of matches into the books. And, of course, with Florida State football, they played their final scrimmage as fall camp winds down. And we will also give you game-by-game -game predictions of the entire 2023 football season and tell you where we think they will end up. So uh, make sure to stick with us. We will be on Tomahawk Talk until 8 o'clock, where Danny will have new release. You can call us up at any time, 850-644-1837. Get your thoughts heard live on the air. We would love to hear what you think about uh, the football team's upcoming season and all that goes along with that. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at V89Sports. Without further ado, Tomahawk Talk. This is the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State, WVFS Tallahassee. I am William Haynes, and joining me tonight on the show, our producer. It's great to see you. You look a lot better than you did last week, no longer rolling in on the scooter. It's Jack Oliaro. That is correct. Um, not only, yeah, so scooters ditched i am now on two feet so that's always that's always a plus and two weeks out in the two weeks out in the open talking on the show yeah that, that shouldn't be allowed unleashed jack yeah. oliaro unleashed we say it every time we let you out of that uh glass cage but we'll now be able to hear you all year round with a new microphone that we've got back there so lots of always exciting possibilities that go along with that but yes uh, we do have a great slate we, uh, in the, the spirit of the, the summer wind down, this is the final week that we have before classes. Uh, obviously, campus is starting to get uh, loaded up driving into the studio on Jefferson Street. You see all the uh, sorority houses with their, uh, their rushing and all that. There's a lot of liveliness, but this is kind of the last time we have to catch our breath before classes start. You know, no uh, 1159 deadlines, no essays, no exams. We can just enjoy life as it comes. Uh, and in that spirit, Jack, what's been kind of your go-to this summer? What are you going to do this week to kind of enjoy your last taste of freedom? Uh, I'm going to try probably, I'm going to go and Charlie, go and probably try to hit the pool. Uh, because of my foot, uh, it was a cut. Uh, I wasn't really able to enjoy the, uh, enjoy the pools or lakes or anything like that. So I think I'm going to probably try and hit that and just enjoy my ableness and my two-feetedness. I'm just, I'm just going to really relish in that. I'm still walking with a little bit of a limp, but not enough of a limp to where people know I'm hurt. It just looks like I'm walking really slow and like somewhat funny. That's got to be one of those things, right? That obviously it would suck not to walk and have to, to be on the scooter and all that. But you probably don't realize how great it is until you lose it. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of puts a different twist on life, right? Sure does. And I'd like to hark on the fact that socially it just I don't look injured enough to where <laughs> people are like, oh, you're injured. It's good enough to where I look able, but I just look like a slow, normal person. And anytime something like that happens, it's never a boring story, but in your case, it was even more unique. Can you kind of tell us how that even came about? I was in Jacksonville for a former friend of the show, uh, Kylie. I was there for her birthday, and uh, we went to the beach, and just first step off the boat, just foot stepped right into the uh, sand, 
do a little bit. I know there was a glass or a shell, but something just immediately just cut right open, sprang back up onto the boat, realized, yep, we got a problem here. To without getting too graphic, uh, a little gushy, a little, little, little bit of red, a little bit too much red for my liking. Are but... we allowed to say gushy on the radio? <laughs> no FCC violations uh, incoming there. But uh, really glad that you're doing better now, and always great to see your face in this here studio. The pool is also another great move in uh, this part of the state, this part of the country. The temperature touches triple digits, I think, basically every day. So you're outside for more than five seconds, and you're streaming with sweat and as hot as can be. Take a dip in that nice warm pool water. doesn't get any better than that, and it's not something we'll have for very long. No, this is a feels-like temperature state where the temperature itself will not do justice. You always got to look at the feels-like because I don't want to get into it. Y'all already, we already know. It's It feels like 100 because of not the heat, but the... Ugh. Yep, yep, the I humidity. went there. Yep, yep. I've never heard that one before. That's quite That's an interesting weather twist. We're yeah. really breaking grounds as far as uh, meteorology is concerned on this here program. So uh, lots of lots of good things going on and we're enjoying it as it comes let's do some news though shall we diving into the world of florida state athletics we actually do have finally some games in the book last week when we were on the air we talked about florida state women's soccer and uh they were uh, just a couple uh, wins away from a national championship in year one of brian penske so they take the pitch for the 2023 campaign that was last thursday at texas a&m they beat the aggies two to one and then on Sunday night, go to Texas Christian. That's TCU. Beat them 2 nothing. So over two games, you only give up one goal and you score four. That's a pretty good start. Tex- or TCU, rather, a top-10 team as well. This is a great start for, for soccer, right? This really is. And after the Texas A&M game, admittedly, we watched it together. We weren't entirely impressed, we would have to say. It was a uh, it was a kind of a scrappy goal that Beata Olsen scored to begin the outing. And then Kind of a uh, not the greatest goal scored off of for Texas A&M. Kind of a mismarking there by a, a defender, but that goal by Taylor Huff. It was a beautiful placement in and uh, really earned really earned some stripes there. And really, her first game for Florida State, so that was always good. And then going to TCU, it was a very tough outing, a very physical game. Uh, Jordan Dudley earned some uh, earned some stripes for that in uh, her freshman debut. But Taylor Huff, two goals and assist through two road games in Texas. Speaking of triple digits. That's not a feels-like temperature state. It is as hot as it says there. Uh, I'm sold on her ability. She can play midfielder and forward. Uh, her sec- her first goal against TCU was an otherworldly, just dribbling through from midfield, almost untouched. Admittedly, probably should have been some better defense, but top 10 teams, so not going to argue that. But just struck it from outside the box beautifully. Top right bins. Top bins, as it should be. And, uh, yeah, left no doubt there. And then and after that, another quick goal by uh, returners from the World Cup. In uh, Jody Brown and uh, Oni Echigini, so just I, I'm a lot more optimistic after that TCU game. Uh, some freshmen to look out for as well. Amelia Van Zanten, she came on for the injured Claire Rain, who was supposed to be a huge impact player. Uh, I still think that may play a role, but she only got 15 minutes before she went down. And you know, when you see someone in a wheelchair and then a uh, some medical gear up to her knee all the way to her foot, probably never a good sign, especially in such a short season in college soccer. But Van Zanten, uh, freshman at Illinois, plenty of experience in the U.S. national teams, at the youth spirit, uh, youth teams, had an immediate spark. She had a lot of constant flow, provided creativity, and came back and d- did her part on defense. So I think her paired with uh, a healthy Leilani Nesbeth, who is a tough, gritty player who can score some pretty good goals, 
they can make for pretty good uh, midfielders. Uh, again, tough, gritty, but but also be fast and efficient to help your forwards, your Beata Olsons of the world, your uh, Taylor Huffs now, and even a Lily Farkas and Jordan Dudley. So I think I learned a little bit. I wasn't as optimistic. I feel a lot better after these two games, especially up TCU game. And uh, yeah, tough and tenacious is what I'll give them. Really strong start to the season. Really can't say it any better than that. Uh, not just to go undefeated, but no draws either. The first match of last no, season was no a draws. Draw. We live in America. No ties. <laughs> that's right. No ties. Can't settle for that. You got to get a W in the books, and that's exactly what they did uh, beginning the season two and zero. Obviously, the players that remain from last year off to a really great start. Bieta Olsen a little bit down as far as her numbers offensively last year compared to the 2021 uh, championship team. So to get her a goal, the first goal of the season, in fact. Great to see. And then it seems to me somewhat of a a soccer plebeian, I must say. Taylor Huff just looks terrific, particularly uh, the goal against TCU to be off the dribble with the left foot to put it, uh, what do they they say, upper 90 in the top right corner? Top bins is what what they'll uh, normally call it. But she looks to be the real deal. Um, I wouldn't say that she, if anyone remembers Jenna Neiswanger, who had incredible assisting ability, she seems like she has that maybe less so assisting ability, but has a more tenacious, more goal-scoring threat, which is probably needed in a season where it can complement the likes of your World Cup returners in Jody Brown, uh, Oni Etchigini, uh, Jordan Dudley, and Taylor Huffins. I think it's going to be a very, very strong attack. The defense answered the bell, only gave up one goal. Lauren Flynn did her part in the back. A uh, lot of freshmen in the back last year. They cost a little bit of leakage, but... They're a year older, a year better, and uh, Christina Roque, we've spoke at a glore about her. Always, always good and always underrated in the national uh, spotlight. So feeling pretty good. I think, um, looking a little bit ahead here, they don't got a game until the LSU game, until LSU plays uh, meets foot leather there uh, against Florida State in football in Orlando. So no one wants to play Florida State in soccer, and I can't say that I blame them. So coming off of the... A top 10 shutout on the road against TCU. They'll be back against USF uh, next Sunday, as Jack said. Really the big one, at least for me, to see this team in Tallahassee September 10th. It's another Sunday at 3.30 against the University of Florida taking on the Gators there. So we will keep you updated all that's going on with that. Also, volleyball will get underway. They had their scrimmage this past weekend, and they will take the court Uh, In Athens, Georgia, actually, this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, in the Classic City Clash, and they'll be in Tallahassee for the Seminole Invitational starting September 1st, Friday night against SMU, and then again the day of the LSU game down in Orlando. Volleyball will be home against Auburn. So a lot of, uh, you know, uh, crossovers and, and things of that nature with all the sports going on at the very beginning of fall. For anyone who can't make uh, the uh, Orlando game, you have quite a few options while in Tallahassee. That's true. There's uh, no shortage of, of sports to watch. And for much of, you know, June, July, August, that's all people can seem to talk about. They just want uh, some sports to watch. So now we've got plenty all at once. Some other news items to touch on. These are more football-centric. We'll start with the athletic director and Michael Alford yesterday putting out a statement through Florida State denying ties uh, to the potential USC athletic director position, saying, I've never been a candidate for the USC position, nor do I have interest in any other role other than what he has at Florida State. 
And this really came out of the blue. There was a, uh, a report in the Los Angeles Times about uh, Michael Alford being considered for that role, or I guess you would say being vetted for that role. And uh, just because you're vetted doesn't mean that you're involved in any type of uh, conversation or anything like that. But uh, I really think uh, the fact that Alford feels like he would need to release such a statement or perhaps that Florida State uh, wants him to put out such a statement, I think we'll start here. It's a little bit alarming, is it not? Yes, because I think to the general public, no one really, had, I mean, there was talks uh, that didn't really gain much traction. Like, it, this wasn't really generally known. I think if FSU and, you know, and Alfred didn't think that it was pretty serious, no one really thought about anything until he had to put out a statement. Uh, people often put out statements for good reasons. This felt like one where it's felt a little bit unnecessary. It actually draws a little more suspicion, but um, as to as in reports, but... As we, as we found out later, the job is later been uh, filled, but it it left a weird feeling for about a few hours, I would say, uh, maybe a day or two before the news did later come out. Because um, uh, anyone who's there for the Jimbo days or this this school or anyone who's been a fan has, we've seen what statements uh, we've seen how powerful some statements are and uh, what little they can hold. Still some open wounds, I suppose. And the news that came out earlier today that Jennifer Cohen, who was the athletic director at the University of Washington, being announced in that same position for USC. So all is put to rest. And for what it's worth, she was not uh, mentioned in the L.A. Times article as one of the figures that was vetted out. Uh, So that makes it all the more strange and maybe discredits that report. However, you want to look at that. Michael Alford does have some ties to USC he has worked there in his career as an associate athletic director handling marketing, sales, and media rights negotiations. You don't say that uh, that would come up. I would never have thought a media rights deal would have been part of someone's job job title. That's even better. That's a, it's a pretty decent gig. And Alfred then went on. He was the AD at uh, Central Michigan for a couple of years before uh, taking the role with uh, Seminole Boosters and now the, the head man at Florida State. So... A little unsettling, I suppose. It's not impossible that uh, he could take off and take a new position. I would say his stock is at an all-time high. And uh, he is very vocal and outspoken about wanting to be a part of the Big Ten. Well, the U- USC is about to be a part of the Big Ten. So that that's maybe where some of those rumors came from. But now Jennifer Cohen, just you know, a couple of weeks or a week after getting Washington into the Big Ten, leaves that position. So how about that as a nice little parting gift up there in Seattle? And Jennifer Cohen as well, the first female AD in the history of USC. So that's a cool note as well. On the the mention of conference realignment, want to put a bow on the segment that we did last week where we had Andrew Cheney joining us. And uh, we didn't get any news, essentially. August 15th was the deadline for Florida State, Clemson, or anybody else in the ACC to announce that they would be departing uh, for the 2024 athletic season and nothing came of that now there are some reports that are saying florida state could make a move within the next days or weeks as far as 2025 but it doesn't seem at least for now that that's going to be the case cbs sports dennis dodd reported that quote industry sources repeat that there is not much desire by either the big 10 or the sec to add clemson or florida state so uh, through that lens my first reaction to that report basically came out right around August 15th. 
That's a big mistake. I think Florida State, they're an incredibly valuable brand. They're in the top 10 media market as far as when they're on TV in primetime, they get more eyeballs than just about any other team. Why would you not want that team a part of your conference? I would say they probably steal a uh, a spotlight off of some of the SEC and Big Ten teams. Would you rather watch Indiana and Rutgers or would you rather watch Florida State and Duke? Now, those aren't intriguing matchups, but one of them's got Florida State. And we're not, I don't think it's entirely biased of us to say this. This is the number one program in the history of the ACC. It's what got the ACC on its feet. It's, in some reasons, why it's a Power Five conference. Take away, take away Florida State, what is the ACC in the early years of it? Because you had, you had decent teams, but Florida State was carrying a load of the weight. And yes, in recent years, it has been Clemson, Clemson domination. Everyone's well aware of that. But the eyeballs... The, uh, the numbers still dictate that Florida State does have a large majority in outside of SEC and Big Ten foot, uh, football uh, viewership. So I think it would be kind of naive of SEC or Big Ten to not view them. If anything, Florida State is probably the leading candidate and probably the next C as to if anyone's going to make a move, everyone's looking towards Florida State. I think they're the next domino to fall, or at least like you're saying, every other team in college – football, college athletics, is looking to Florida State to see what they do next. No other team has that sort of tenacity or that, that power, and you're not going to see Clemson walk on their own. If anything, they're going to no. go together. That's a, that's a partnership, probably. You're absolutely right. No, I, I don't think Clemson would make it on their own, and it looks, the landscape is such, I'm not sure Florida State would make it on its own. It seems to be their kind of a package deal so that's going to be uh, for such ruthless rivals to see maybe a partnership form out of that in some ways Uh, money brings everybody together so it's just something to keep our eyes on it could come at any moment most likely next summer is uh, the earliest we'll hear any type of news Uh, but the ACC still uh, mulling over the potential addition of Cal and Stanford now the Uh, just two of the four remaining teams of what was the Pac-12 that's basically going to crumble within the next couple of years. It was reported that they would waive their revenue distribution potentially for up to several years if they are admitted into the ACC. So that would alleviate uh, some financial concerns that we mentioned last week that Florida State they don't like the the split of the pie that they're getting now. If you make that piece of pie even smaller, then they're really going to be unhappy. So that may not play into it if Cal and Stanford is going to waive that money. But the ACC needs 12 of their 15 member schools to approve any additions. And right now they're at 11 of 15. Florida State and Clemson, as you can imagine, are on the forefront of disputing the additions, and UNC, as well as North Carolina State, are the other two. We're viewing North Carolina State as the swing, as the uh, the swing vote in all this. Uh, the likes of Notre Dame even has a vote, and uh, they have rivals with both teams, so obviously that would make sense for them. Uh, but they still probably wouldn't try to want to commit football-wise, so make of that what you will. Uh, I think you, this is pretty easy to say, but like, what value does Stanford and Cal add? Yes, not only are you slicing the pie, but is the pie taste any better? No. No, it really doesn't. Like, if, if anything, it, yeah, I, what does Stanford and Cal really add? Cal had Aaron Rodgers once. I think that's all we can really think of Cal for the past few years. Stanford had some good football teams about 10 years ago. What, what do those schools add? Besides academics, I mean, those are two great academic schools, but that's not why conferences are realigning. They're not realigning to get the greatest and brightest minds of uh, studious uh, nature. It's all for the... It's all for the brand and the football-wise. You're saying ACC Book Club isn't at uh, the forefront of what we're doing here? My, uh, it's even better. I'd go an ABC Book Club just just to go full 
go full academics there. But um, yeah, Florida State is at probably the most powerful team that exists that isn't part of the existing uh, Big Two, as we call them, the Big Ten or the SEC. So besides them, unless Notre Dame pulls a curveball on everybody and renounces their independency, I I would keep an eye on them. But I wouldn't doubt that I wouldn't doubt that nothing happens in the next few days, next few weeks. But more often than not, football is going to play. People are going to put their phones down. I don't think we'll hear anything about this for quite a while. It's so what happened last year. We were all up in arms about the USC and UCLA move and the Texas-Oklahoma move. And as soon as the season started, it all washes away. The Pac-12 and basically their last year of existence is going to have some fierce competition. So as soon as, uh, like you said, toe meets leather, all that will subside. Speaking of that, Florida State football, they played their final of their two scrimmages during fall camp yesterday morning at Doe Campbell Stadium so they get a feel of uh, being on there in the the good grass and uh, all the nerves that come with that building and seems like it went well we didn't get any uh, incredible news to the positive or the negative we'll start on the offensive line where it seems Mike Norvell may be hinting at a couple of players at solidified starting positions Maurice Smith who was the center all throughout last year and Casey Roddick a transfer player from Colorado, who primarily played left guard, but also right tackle in his time in Boulder. They both were removed after the first 20 snaps. So uh, if you're reading in between the lines there, it would seem like they've got it pretty much locked up, that they've proved everything that they need to. I think Roddick was someone that they had high hopes for, and left guard was a position that's open after Dylan Gibbons ran out of eligibility playing under the graduate year last year, and Marie Smith staying at center not a big surprise. So it seems like we're getting closer to getting a starting starting unit. Dimitri Emanuel from last year likely to stay at right guard. And uh, it seems that Robert Scott still hasn't been participating in practice. So his uh, week one availability or really anything uh, in the, the recent future from that point doesn't seem like he's going to be ready. So bless Harris, a guy that was hurt in the Duquesne game, but uh, someone that they really liked. You could see him easily in the left tackle spot. And then Jeremiah Byers from UTEP, who uh, was a first-team all-conference player in El Paso and uh, measures as a professional prospect. It seems to me, this is all speculation on our part, but it seems like Seminoles have their starting five up front, and it looks to be a good starting five. It does do, It does look to be a good starting five, and... Any, with any offensive line, you know you have to have the quality of your measures, not your starting five, but your depth. I love their depth. I love their young pieces. I love the J- Jalen Early, who's probably going to be taking a, taking a few snaps off of uh, Casey Roddick at left guard. Um, Julian Armella has basically heard nothing but glowing reviews since he's arrived at Florida State. He's likely to take over potentially as soon as next season or even start taking... Someone goes down, he's likely to fill in at a tackle position. There's a lot of good depth. You And arguably part of the reason that FSU hit a slump was because of injuries on both sides of the line. So I would watch out for that. And uh, if everyone's starting, everyone's healthy, I, this this unit just keeps getting better and better. There's no reason to believe why this shouldn't be what we're thinking, unless I'm thinking of maybe Darius Washington maybe takes, maybe share some snaps with somebody. He's been probably the most, been the most rotational piece of the offensive line. He's played probably everywhere. And if anyone remembers last this time last fall, he was, he was taking snaps at center at one point, and that's not his position. Me and you had a class with him way back when, I remember. It was uh, at the stadium. It was an 8 a.m. Lovely um, guy. He's a great fella, and you're right. He can play all five spots. 
So including the center position. So he's uh, really kind of your sixth man if you want to look at it uh, from that from that side of things. On the defensive side of the ball, Adam Fuller, he always likes to talk after these scrimmages, and he's great with the media, not afraid to divulge really any type of information. Uh, we'll start with the obvious part of what he said, which is this is the best defense he's had since taking the position in 2020. I would certainly hope so. <laughs> this would be his best unit. And uh, he considers it to be one of the top units nationally. Now, this is a defense that gave up 30 points or more five times last season. Are we buying the hype? I'll buy the hype, but I need to see uh, how much interest am I buying with you. That, that's, that's what I'm taking into account here. I trust that defensive line wholeheartedly, barring any injuries. Jared versus Patrick Payton is probably one of the most lethal defensive end like tandems in the nation. Fabo coming back, Fabian Lovett, is always a good addition. Uh, Brandon Fisk has proved his worth as the trans as a quality transfer. Dennis Briggs is always going to take many snaps. Darrell Jackson's kind of up in the air for now. Today seems like a no, but you know what? That's someone they're going to hit with practice in practice. So I think that's a quality get. It's always been the secondary that's what we've been looking at and saying, mm, I'm not sure. But also you could argue that cornerbacks and safeties are the most inclined to getting flamed in this day and age, especially. Uh, so. Can we trust guys like Renardo? I think we can kind of say we can trust Ventral Cypress, a transfer, ACC. Uh, First-teamer last year, definitely can trust him. But can a guy like AZ step up? What happens at nickel and free safety and stuff like that? And if the front seven is much more improved from last year, that helps out the secondary a great deal if you're getting better pressure and you're forcing the, the opposition into must-pass situations where the secondary can plan for that. So those those can work somewhat in tandem there. Because Tatum Bethune's probably the most underrated get to get back because he was a retreat senior. I, I believe he even went on senior day and, you know, made his announcement, kind of like Dimitri Emanuel. He got the medical waiver. Tatum gets to stay, and that is a quality quality stay because him with Dick Halen Deloach, linebacker last year going in, we were thinking was one of the worst in the conference. Now it's looking at potentially one of the best. In the secondary, they do get some some reinforcements and three true freshmen that have everyone, including Adam Fuller, very excited. Who's to say how much they'll play, but uh, K.J. Kirkland and Conrad Hussey, the, the two safeties, and then Quindarius uh, Jones, who looks like maybe more of a corner. But uh, everyone has been complimentary. The media has kind of fallen in love with these guys. Uh, they love to report on them. The coaches love to talk about them. So uh, a peek at maybe the future of what that secondary secondary will look like as this season goes on and could be forced in some, some pretty big spots. It's kind of how things tend to go. So it seems like at least moving towards the future that, that all is good uh, as far as that's concerned. So we're half past the hour here on Tomahawk Talk. We will continue on, but a reminder that you can call the show 850-644-1837, listening to Tomahawk Talk on 89.7 FM. And uh, we will be doing game-by-game predictions of the 2023 football season for Florida State. William Haynes and Jack Oliaro here until new release comes around at 8 o'clock. So let's dig into uh, kind of the entree, the main course of tonight's show, if you will. And we'll just go straight through each game, tell you what you kind of need to know from a bird's-eye view, and uh, basically just say win or loss. Let's not get too deep into kind of what the scores will be or anything. It's too hard to tell, at least from where we are now, until we see teams on the field. But the big one that we will go into further depth, much further depth next week. So if you want to hear an LSU preview, make sure to tune in next week as well. But 
We'll start there because that's where the season begins in Orlando. 13 days from now, Sunday, September 3rd, it's a 7.30 ABC game, so it'll get the primetime treatment. Number eight, FSU. Number five, LSU. And it was a 24-23 thriller in New Orleans last year. Couldn't be any closer than that. It was a blocked extra point that kept it from going to overtime. Uh, but after that point, the Tigers went on a great run with their first-year head coach, Brian Kelly, 6-2 and two in the SEC West. They beat Alabama and Ole Miss, and they played Georgia in the SEC championship game. Their losses in conference were to Tennessee and Texas A&M on the road. They keep a lot of uh, their key pieces. Their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, he's right up there in Heisman conversations with Jordan Travis. He ran for over 100 yards in the Bayou last year. Gabe Neighbors, or wide receiver, is a preseason All-American, and both their left and right tackles that played last season as true freshmen were honored as some of the best freshmen in the country, and so they'll have the two true sophomores now on the edge. So a lot to like on that side of the ball. And then on defense, mostly transfer players, as Brian Kelly tries to put all this together. They do have a, an All-American D-lineman in Wingo, and also Mason Smith, who going into last year they thought the guy with the highest upside, he got injured celebrating after a play against Florida State last year. So he's going to be healthy and ready to go. And also, to me, one of the most exciting and dynamic players in college football, Harold Perkins. He's a linebacker. I tweeted this out. He single-handedly blew up a game against Arkansas. He looked like Lawrence Taylor. He was a guy that could single-handedly take over a game. So on offense and defense, it's no surprise LSU in the top five uh, in the preseason poll. That's kind of scary. That that is a that is a team that really both teams have gone through tremendous uh, expectation changes in a matter of 365 days. It seems like I don't know if we remember the game last year, but it kind of felt like it was the Sunday game. It's a battle of two teams who are getting there, and the thought is now these are the two teams that are more than there. They are more than capable of both of them of making the playoff this season. Uh, I think a player that's been kind of undervalued as Mason Taylor made that game-winning play, the two-point play against Bama. Uh, he was only a freshman last year. He's only going to get better. And Brian Kelly's history with tight ends at Notre Dame, even in Cincinnati before, I think that holds a lot of weight. Um, the defense is scary. The offense may be even better. You said they won the West. I don't think they'll win the West this year, but that's a different conversation in regards to that beast of a conference. But I think expectation holds a lot of weight no matter where you start. You got number five, number eight. That those numbers are going to hold weight. Those that can change throughout the year, but where you start is huge. And I think the bigger at state game. This is a huge game for LSU more than FSU. FSU, I wouldn't say stole it last year, but there was a lot of things that went their way. But also a lot of things went LSU's way to come back in the game. This is the game of the week for a reason. I partially wish it wasn't on a Sunday. You know, get to enjoy my Sunday and then part of my Monday, but. There's this is the game of the season for a reason. Win or loss. Win or loss. Um, I think it's this is a flip of a coin, but I'm gonna say if 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 FSU took one in New Orleans, LSU will take one in Orlando. Less spectacular fashion. Doesn't need a block kick to really hurt hopes and dreams, but I think it'll be about a field goal touchdown game. They'll go back and forth. I think there'll be a point around halftime. It'll be about 14-14. I think the defense for LSU will just take over and Jaden Daniels will allow, will kind of carry some weight a little bit and get a touchdown there too to really just elevate slightly above FSU in that game. 
I'm going to say FSU loses that game in Orlando. Uh, Florida State had the, the benefit of playing a Brian Kelly team not only in week one, but also his first game at the school as a coach, and that's not something historically he's been very good at. Incredibly sloppy, the Tigers, in that game last year. Two drop punts, two block kicks, all sorts of mistakes. I don't think they make those kind of mistakes this time around, and they are just too solid on both sides of the ball, as I as I talked about. They're going to get their all-American, all-world receivers and tight ends involved much earlier than they did last year, I think. And I, I would expect even a, a new and improved offensive line, I think, will get overwhelmed by a really quality SEC front. So I'll say uh, the Noles start the season 0-1 down in Orlando. Uh, moving along, Southern Miss will be in Week 2, a night game at Doe Campbell Stadium, the home opener. Up and down year for Southern Miss last year, 6-6. Six and six, Blown out by Miami, but they beat a Tulane team that won the Cotton Bowl. They've got Frank Gore Jr. That was, that was going to be my interesting note is, doesn't that just make you kind of feel old? You remember what? Frank Gore was on my fantasy team uh, as little as a few years ago. It's he's horrifying. Got his, that's that is something. Um, I think. I mean, there. I don't think there's too much to draw in terms of result. Florida State's a better team. Uh, Frank Gore is not the only thing of note, but when you have a, they're not an FCS team, so definitely shouldn't be taken lightly. But um, there's no reason that if Florida State does what they did, kind of against Duquesne, that was an FCS FCS opponents with that asterisk there, but they should handle business at home. First game at Doak, um, really with kind of no issue. I can I can see that easily being. A forty-point difference towards the end there. Win number one for the Knolls. They'll go one and one after a win against Southern Miss. Also, another note: my dad loves to bring up every time Southern Miss comes up. They these two teams played each other in Jacksonville back in 1989. Southern Miss won. They beat Florida State with a quarterback named Brett Favre. So there you go. That's another okay. note against Southern right. Miss, and I'm sure that'll come up a couple hundred times uh, before we actually play them. Uh, from the media and all that, there will be there will be no who the hell is Southern Miss episode as there was for Duquesne last year. There will be probably for Northern Alabama, uh, but uh, Southern Miss. I also I put a star next to them because it's one of the the teams that you need to blow out because you need to get the depth in the game. You need to get the backs up back up some playing time, and we'll mention those games as Would, they come up. Do you need Jameis Winston type blowouts that 2013 2012 type blowouts, or do you need maybe a maybe a what do you, do you need 60 points? No, you don't points? need to beat them by 70. If you're up 45 to 3 at the midway through the third quarter and you can put all the bench players in, I think that's that's the target. Make it a Tate night. Make it a Tate give, give some Brock give Brock Glenn some reps. He's he's made quite the impression in fall camp. I need to see AJ Duffy get his stock back up. So hopefully he'll get a chance to do that. There's a lot of uh, love to go around with the quarterback room. I have the next game on the schedule. Another star is in a game that you should blow out if you're the Knowles. Boston College, they'll get Northern Illinois and Holy Cross in their two games before Florida State. So they'll get some confidence under their belt. They should. 3-9 and nine in 2022. Jeff Halfley, five games under 500 through three years at BC. He's going to be on the major hot, hot seat up in the Northeast. Lost FSU. In Doak Campbell, 44-14 to last year. This time it's up in uh, Boston College. And uh, as far as the quarterback room is concerned, they had Phil Jerkovic, who now has transferred to Pitt. But they had a, a redshirt freshman in Emmett Moorhead who finished the season really strong, good numbers. And it seemed like maybe they unleashed him. He's going to be a redshirt sophomore this year. That's really the only thing I can think of. 
but it's got to be another blowout win. I think so too. Emmett Moorhead, I think gonna, he's going to be a quality ACC quarterback, but I imagine FSU is going to be one of his turning stones where he might he might get eaten up. Now, I don't want to discredit a home field advantage in BC, but this should be something that FSU should handle by at least three or four touchdowns. I would agree. It's September 16th, so in Chestnut Hill, you're not going to have any type of crazy weather. It's a nooner. Yep. And, uh, yeah, nooner on ABC. So let's move on. Florida State 2-1 and one after a win over Boston College. Then they head into Death Valley, a team that they are 0-7 against in their last seven tries in the Clemson Tigers, who were 10-2 and undefeated in eight conference games last season. They beat FSU here in Tallahassee 34-28. to now, a major asterisk that needs to be pointed out before we move on, I know as time has separated itself from this game, people tend to forget. With less than 10 minutes remaining in the fourth quarter, it was 34-14. to 14. Yes. That game was a blowout. It was not close. I don't care what the final score says. Clemson dominated Florida State in all phases, and they really should have run away with that game. And If you allow me to be a voice of uh, maybe unreason, after that game, they haven't lost a game since. There you go. So That's there's there's point. there's your light, and they yeah you're right. They rallied away with two touchdowns, made the people who le- who left early at least regret it a little bit. You know they forced the onside kick. Obviously didn't win that. When you play a game of chance, that's what you get. But I think everyone expects this is this is the game of the season for Florida State. As much as LSU is a high profile name, how you do against Clemson might define your season, especially if since that's a conference opponent in Death Valley. Last time they were playing in uh, Death Valley, that was a. Uh, it was DJ. It was a DJ team that really underperformed and kind of started this sort of decline of Clemson football on a national scale. Uh, they have a new OC in Garrett Riley. He was recently offensive corner at TCU. They, uh, I don't know if you heard, made it to the national championship last year and was terrific on offense. If that can translate over, if Cade Klubnick can get some weapons, real because really that's what Clemson was known for was weapons, and they've kind of been on a is it the quarterback is the wide receiver sort of conversation. And if Kate is the guy and he can make some throws to guys, they've, they've, they have a, you're right, like you said, FC hasn't lost in seven years or hasn't won in seven years. So that may so- say something, but if Florida State can handle that, can really elevate above what's otherwise probably the conference's best defense the past decade, really arguably only up there with Pitt. This is going to be the true uh, stepping stone. I think, Florida State can gut it out. This feels like the year of any years. This is the year that they can get it over them and maybe start maybe start a stretch of their own. This could be this could be the ACC decider, the power shift if we want to really dramatize it to its fullest extent. So you're going uh, win or loss there. I'm going to go Florida State wins by double digits. Okay. Now I say double digits. I say ten, but double digits. I am going to predict Clemson wins that game. They'll be 8-0 in the last eight games after all is said and done. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm in love with Kib Kludnick. DJ Uyunglele had a good game against Florida State last year, and he departs for Oregon State. Kludnick, though, he was the number one quarterback in his class. He was the Gatorade Player of the Year in Texas. Got all sorts of awards as a high school player. I'm not going to bang him for what he did as a true freshman. I really don't think that that matters too much. I think we will really see what this kid is when this season starts, and they'll get Charleston Southern and FAU the two weeks before FSU, and that game against the Knowles will be their third straight home game. So it's going to be all comfort for him, and you could say maybe reminiscent of 2013 where FSU is on the rise and they head into Death Valley and knock off a top-ranked team. 
but uh, that's not what I'll predict. I'll say FSU's 2-2 two and two coming out of that game. Their entire projected starters on the defensive line, every single one of them is a graduate senior, like fifth or sixth year senior. These are the Wake teams a few years ago. The same guys that have been tormenting Florida State for years up front is going to take the field against them again, and I'm, ju- I'm not going to pick against history. I... History is meant to be broken. Records are meant to be broken, and I think this could be the year. This feels like the year, if any year, that they probably can. Last time they went to they went to Death Valley, they competed against the DJ team, and made made worth of it. So after that, they will play Virginia Tech at home, October seventh. Brent Pry in his second year as head coach, three and eight for the Hokies last year, just one and six in conference play. They do have the same quarterback uh, in a second-year head coach, so there is some comfort and uh, familiarity, familiarity there. All Tough new, word. All new receivers uh, via the transfer portal, but they will get Pitt the week prior. Seems like a lot of teams on our schedule will be playing Pitt right before us, a team that can kind of beat you up a little bit. But this is another one with an asterisk. you got to get a blowout win against this team at home. Yeah, and I would say the argument is college football is better when certain teams are better. Florida State's up there. Most of Florida schools are. VT is also one of them as well, kind of an underrated. When they're good, it's fun to watch college football. But this is a year that they're up, they're down there with the likes of uh, Virginia. That that state as a whole not looking overall that great. Uh, they should be the basement dwellers. They they could elevate to maybe be in six and six, but that's that's no business. George, uh, that's no business that Florida State should be uh, messing with there. So I would say they they can clear that by multiple touchdowns. So I've got three and two after VT. You have. Four and one, I believe, right? That is correct. And after that, they'll play the Syracuse Orange in Tallahassee. What a year for Syracuse last year! Not necessarily in a good way. They started six and zero. They finished one and five. So the tale of two teams with Dino Babers, a thirty-eight to three loss to Florida State uh, in upstate New York last year. Florida State could not have dominated Syracuse anymore in the box score. Travis was 21 of 23. The ball never hit the ground. Benson ran for nine yards a carry. And Garrett Schrader, Syracuse's quarterback, threw for 65 yards in the game. And Syracuse will, will play home against Clemson and then at UNC the two weeks prior. So it could be possibly a third consecutive week against a ranked team. Not sure Syracuse has the depth really to survive that either. It got another blowout win. I won't say it's quite a blowout win. Uh, Syracuse has been a has been a tough team over the past few years. They've yeah, while they have kind of swifted away at the end there, they've always, barring last year, have always been able to play Florida State fairly well. And for some reason, is one of those uh, three teams that Florida State will play every year, uh, barring any conference changes. But yeah, uh, Garrett Schrader is he's probably a more probably going to run the ball more than I say Jordan Travis would. And I think that speaks for something. He's just a big dude. If he utilizes his body correctly and doesn't get swarmed by the defensive line, which that's a huge maybe and if and an asterisk there, then they have a chance. But otherwise, I like that second game at home, October. That shouldn't be – I would say they win by, by about two touchdowns. Another home game in October against Duke to follow. Homecoming. A great uh, season and for a first-year head coach. For Mike Elko in year one, coming off of the Cutcliffe era, eight and four, all three of Duke's ACC losses were decided by three points or less. So this is not a team you're probably going to be able to blow out. They play NC State the week prior, could be a, a body blow game potentially. But Duke, lots of seniors and grad players 
likely to be in their starting lineup with a coach that everyone is in love with right now in Mike Elko. Where do we see this Duke game going? This is the game that, you know, because the name is Duke, people are going to overlook it. They're going to gloss it over and see it as another win. But if for those who didn't pay attention, Duke competed in just about every game they had last year. They should, in theory, be getting better another year with Riley Leonard. They look a lot better. They do have, even before that NC State game, well, that's two weeks prior, but they, they have Notre Dame. But I'd say this is a game that I think that people are going to overlook, but at the same time, Florida State will handle business, and I think this could be maybe a two-touchdown win, potentially. All right. Ten minutes left to finish out the schedule here after that. And, I, and by the way, I, I would see a close win over Duke, maybe seven to ten points. Then Florida State will take on Wake Forest to beat Florida State 31-21 during a 7-5 and campaign last year. No more Sam Hartman at quarterback. No no more A.T. Perry out wide. So there are two offensive stars. The are... FSU secondary is uh, singing their praises. <laughs> That's right. The mesh a little easier to defend probably this year than it was last. It will be at Wake, though, and uh, for Wake Forest. This is an ugly streak. They have won their last three meetings against FSU. The only other time that's ever happened was at the ugly dark days at the end of the Bobby Bowden uh, tenure in the late 2000s. So uh, not not good memories there, but uh, I have a, a Florida State win over Wake. What say you? I could say this could be one of the blowout games depending on how Wake looks. I think there's a reason that you have to kind of struggle and look to see where the quarterback is because for years it's been Sam Hartman. Dude literally has his own bones as a necklace right now. But... Um, they lost A.T. Perry. They lost some dudes to the Sunday game, and I just I have a hard time seeing who's going to step up. I don't I trust their court. I trust their uh, coaches and Dave Clawson. So I could say that I would say that this is going to be a tough outing. But I think fourth quarter this could be a boat race, and I think Florida State is in full control. I'm not so sure that Florida State's record is going to improve from last year, but I will think I think they will be improved overall. And I think beating a Wake team that Norvell is 0-2 against, I think that that turns around. I think that's one of the steps in the right direction. It's hard to say you're a national title contender when you've lost to Wake, you know, three years in a row. So you got to start getting those things back first, and I think that they will. Six and two, I have got coming out of that game. Then I do have a loss in this one going. At Pittsburgh, November 4th, could be a weird weather game. Pittsburgh, uh, your meteorology lesson for the day, It's uh, the city is a convergence of three different rivers. Uh, it's called the Three River City. All sorts of wind and rain and nastiness that time of year. Heinz Field is notoriously impossible to kick field goals in, even at the NFL level where the Steelers play. So it's going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be ugly. We can't sit here on August 21st and say that it's going to be a bad weather game, but odds would suggest likely that would be the case. The Panthers won their last five games of last year, including the bowl game. They do get Phil Jerkovic. That's a quarterback that's been around. Notre Dame, Boston College has had some high highs, maybe some low lows as well. Pitt also loses a running back to the NFL that had a 1,400-yard campaign. Uh, but in a really experienced defense, Pat Narduzzi, that's his specialty. I just think it's going to be an ugly game. Uh, not a lot of points are going to be scored. The kicking game is going to be a nightmare. And Pitt is built to win those kind of games. Are you suggesting maybe the likes of a 13-10, a 13-6, one of those games? I do. Okay. I, I've i been back and forth in this game uh, constantly because, yes, you don't – nobody – I don't think Florida State has been to Pittsburgh since the championship winning season. That's a good in point. In 2013, and they weren't even conference teams yet. That was the year before when Pitt joined. But 
I think Florida State is going to get it done on a well, hopefully that game's I don't even know if, when you want that game whether noon, 7:30. You don't want it at night. And I but I got a feeling they're not going to make that a noon game and yeah. um I just I struggle to see I struggle to see a good outcome, but I'm going to give it to Florida State there and I think another point of interest uh Pitts had consistently good defense. Yes, you could rattle off names like Aaron Donald. And every year they got a dude who ends up either first or second round. There's no reason to think why they don't have that again this year. Uh, he's reuni- uh, Phil Dracovic's reunited with his offensive coordinator when they had. That's when they had their big success at Boston College and even the likes of before that. So it's all the makings of potentially an upset game. I think everyone's circling that as the one. I'll say I'll counter that and just say that's not. They're more than prepared to know that that's the upset game. I think they'll handle business. So after Pitt, I've got six and three. Jack has seven and two. Now off to the first of two rivalry games in a three-week span. That's going to be a tough stretch to finish the season, harder than people would think, against Miami on November 11th. Lots of transfers coming in for year two of Mario Cristobal. Five and seven last year. 45-3 to three they lost the Knowles last year. But Tyler Van Dyke got injured the week before that game, tried to play through it, and really couldn't. And he's going to be healthy, as far as we know, to start week one. They do have Texas A&M early. They'll also play Clemson a few weeks before Florida State. So we'll definitely know what this Miami team is. I do have a win, but I think it's going to be closer than people would think. Yes, I I think the 45-3 to game, that'll, that's that's a nice thing to put on the shelf and have that. Uh, but this this will be a closer game. Um, this, this team does look better. Tyler Van Dyke is going to not, if he regresses any further, then he's no longer quarterback. That's just That's just what that is. Uh, they had a tumultuous year with their OC last year, who's de- not there anymore. And uh, Shannon Dawson, I think, is a pretty solid addition. It's a, I think it's a pretty safe pair of hands. He was at the likes of West Virginia, Southern Miss, and places of that sorts. I think Florida State, on paper, should handle them, but it certainly won't be a whooping that we saw last year. It, they'll, they'll have to sweat it out a little bit, but you know what? We've known this long enough. Rivalry games, you can never... Yeah, you have to pencil it in. You can never definitely, you can't use some Sharpies on those games. November, you just never know. November, who knows what the injury situation looks like. It is at home. We've got, both got a win in the books there. No need to really talk about the D2 opponent in North Alabama. Obviously, we both have a win there, and that will take us Wait, into no, I'm just kidding. rivalry <laughs> weekend. Even if you did uh, predict anything, I wasn't going to allow you to say it. No one is predicting a loss against North Alabama. So the Gators, Florida State will have to go to Gainesville on the last day of the regular season to play Billy Napier's squad in year two of his reign. It was a nail-biter in Tallahassee last year, 45-38 to against the top pick in the NFL draft and a guy that could be rookie of the year, Anthony Richardson. Now it's Graham Mertz under center, a transfer from Wisconsin, or at least to start the year. They will be at Utah to begin the year. They've got a grueling stretch. Not only that game... Tennessee, Georgia, LSU, all those opponents in the preseason top 15. So they could be bruised and battered. Billy Napier could be on the hot seat, maybe in desperate need of a rivalry win. That's something to keep in mind. And in the swamp, not an easy place to play. It's a young team. A lot of true sophomores are projected as starters. Maybe Billy Napier feeling he needs to get his guys on the field. I like I, I, I see it in the same light as the Miami game. You would have to predict a win knowing what we know now, but it's going to be very difficult, and I think it'll be close. Not that Florida State and Florida ever play at a different time that isn't the 
a famous Saturday after Thanksgiving. But if this game was earlier, I would I I could pencil it as, as a huge victory for Florida State because I do not trust the likes of Graham Mertz. He'd never he didn't do much in Wisconsin. Now, granted that that's been a kind of a rocky program the past few years, but I don't unless there's something that he sees that no one else has seen. I I don't see what I don't see if he'll even be quarterback by the time we get to that game. Uh, but this team gave fits last year, and is all, arguably why the defense has become a reason of question. Was those Florida and Oklahoma games that were deemed maybe closer than you would have liked, just because the Florida State defense gave up probably more than they should have. So by the time we get to that time, it'll be in the swamp, probably a night game because of Florida's probably three thirty, seven thirty game. It's not on Friday, thank God. That was awful. That was. That was my first ever uh, Florida Florida State game, so that will always have a good place in my uh, my heart. But uh, the Swamp's never a nice place to play. They're going to play their best game, you'd have to think. I still think it, it could be – it definitely won't be as high scoring. I, I feel like if anyone predicts that is predicting Graham Mertz to be a, a, a Sunday player, and that's definitely not the case. Uh, I could see this being the likes of a 28-21 game. I think Florida, Florida will cause some issues, but – Florida State should should handle the fires, and that puts them at about a ten and two, eleven one season for the optimistic. Yeah, let's cap it off as you were mentioning with some some closing statements. I have a nine and three campaign in the books. You beat two of your three rivals, five projected blowout wins. The three losses I have being the LSU, Clemson, and Pitt, and that still puts you potentially in the ACC championship game most likely against Clemson. I will say if you play Clemson twice, you're going to split. And so if you lose the first time, you beat them the second time. If you win the first time, you lose in the ACC championship. I see this being uh, possibly an ACC champion at 9-3, and 10-3, and three, and then going to the Orange Bowl, which I think is, is a really big success. What about you? Florida State only lost to non-conference. Sorry, Florida State only lost to conference opponents last year. No one should mul- No one should try to overlook the likes of your. They played NC State. They played Wake. They had injury issues, and that plays a role. But you got to win your ACC games, and they won the likes of LSU, the Florida, the Oklahoma games. That's great. But to get to Charlotte and at least put one foot in the door in the right direction, you got to get back to the championship game. So you got to beat your Syracuses and Dukes. You gotta. You gotta do what you need to do there. Uh, I think an LSU loss, it's not. It's obviously going to be a huge game. doesn't mean that much in the grand scheme of things. It's more a bigger game for uh, the likes of LSU, who, if they hand another loss, is likely out of the playoff in this four-team format. But I think this team can get to Charlotte, will get to Charlotte. Um, I think it would be a little too early, a little too optimistic to say uh, pencil in some playoff things. But I think first, first things first, get back to Charlotte. Get back to the way that things used to be. Make your appearance at the Orange Bowl if you can. Do what you can there, and I think that would be a reasonably successful season afterward. If you can go to the Orange Bowl and possibly win that game right before the 12-team playoff era starts, your program is in a terrific place. And last thing I'll say on this, Mike Norvell in his fourth year, the the step that people are maybe hinting at from 9-3, and which they were last year in the regular season, to 12-0 and or 11-1, and I think that that is the biggest jump. I think the jump from three and six to five and seven, or the jump from five and seven to uh, nine and three, I think those are much smaller. Once you enter that top top echelon of college football, I think that's the biggest disparity. So I, I don't think it's just going to happen this year. I, I think it's still a year away, and uh, a New Year's Six bowl game would still uh, go an incredibly long way in furthering this program. So 
that's what our predictions are here on August 21st about how the upcoming Florida State football season will go. It's been great to have you with us. We'll be back next week with a guest from LSU, a student reporter of some kind, to talk about all that will go on in Orlando to get their perspective. So that's a show you're not going to want to miss. We'll have the full crew. It'll be the first day of school. Hope it goes well. Hope you make all your classes. Uh, Hope you get your textbooks all in order. Uh, But for myself, William Haynes, and Jack Oliaro saying so long for now. Danny is up next with new release. You're listening to 89.7 FM WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.